Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could join us. This hour, we're going to get to know the new Hennepin County Sheriff, Dewana Witt, a bit better. Sheriff Witt grew up in South Minneapolis, just a block from where George Floyd was murdered. This January, she was sworn in as the first woman and the first person of color to hold the office. In fact, she is the first black woman to ever become a sheriff in Minnesota. She took an unusual and inspiring path to the top. She was a teen mother. She then worked in the social worker field before coming becoming a sheriff's deputy. She has spent 23 years in law enforcement in three different sheriff's departments. More than half of that time, she worked in county jails. Sheriff Witt is taking charge of the department at a time when trust is strained between communities of color and law enforcement officers. This hour, she's here in the studio with me to talk about her background and how law enforcement can rebuild trust and be more effective in the communities they serve. And as I talk with her, we're taking your phone calls as well. Do you have a question about the role of the Hennepin County Sheriff or Sheriff's deputies? What should Sheriff Witt, in your opinion, prioritize in her first year? What questions do you have for us? Call us at 651-227-6000. Again, that number is 651-227-6000. You can also call 800-242-2828. Reach, reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Angela Davis, NPR. Good morning, Sheriff Witt. Good morning. Good to see you. Uh, thanks so much for coming in. And I don't even know where to start. <laughs> but I'm going to start here. In recent months, I have run into you several times at uh, big events, and there's always a, a line to meet you or a circle of people around you who want to say hello or take a picture. What do you make of, of this genuine excitement that so many people seem to have uh, about seeing you in this important job? You know what? It's, it's, it's surreal. You know, um, I still don't believe that I have fully ingested everything that's happening um, as being a person who's just always did my best to do the right things and for the right reasons. And to have people acknowledge that and be happy to see me in this position, it's, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still taking it in, to be honest with you. I'm still taking it in, but it, it feels great, yet not, um, not, not comfortable really. for me yet, right? Because it's right. like, well, you've come up through the ranks. You've spent a lot of time on the inside. You've seen a lot of things. Uh, you were elected this past November and running for any elected office, but running for Hennepin County Sheriff. Um, this was your first time running for an office. What was going on in, in your life? What, were, what was the conversation you were having in your head about, you know, I need to step up and just do this? Right. You know, um, first, I didn't know that I would be running for for this position, you know, it was things were unraveling at the sheriff's office. I've never been a person just to sit back and do nothing. Um, I've always said that you can't complain if you're not going to do anything to make it better. Mm-hmm. And what we know we needed was uh, leadership at the sheriff's office. And, you know, we had some discussions. I had discussions with my family, discussions with my friends, discussions with um, with my, my peers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all I kept hearing was, this is your time. This is for you. Do it. Do it. You know, um, and it's it's really unfortunate yet fortunate. My brother, who passed away last year in January, he always said that you're going to be a sheriff. You're going to be the sheriff. And, you know, he and I, I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I, I did not see myself in this role. But my brother knew something. And I just wish he was still here to see it. Were you ever deterred by the fact that no black woman had ever done this? No, I was I was not deterred by that, but I think um, that has a lot to do with being in this field for so many years, with the lenses that I came to this profession with. 
um, it, it wasn't always easy, right? Because I know that the way that I think, the way that I respond to people um, was not all the time the accepted um, um, responses. You know, it was it was different for some people. But that's why I say, you know, when we teach, teaching is lifelong. And, you know, as I got adverse adversity, I guess you can say, uh, through some of the ways Push that back. I would handle things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just did what I thought was right. And I was always teaching people like here's a different lens that maybe you don't don't have, but one that you need to consider. Mm-hmm. So. And watch me do my thing. And watch me do my thing. All right. We're yes. watching. So let, <laughs> let's go back a little bit. Describe the jurisdiction of the sheriff's department um, and, and what do you oversee? Because uh, as I think about, you know, the city of Minneapolis, where your mm-hmm. offices are, we have the Minneapolis Police Department. What does the Hennepin County Sheriff's Department do? So the first thing that I always tell people, so it's uh, it's not department, it's office, right? Because, office. Yep, because it's an elected right. official. So it's office of the sheriff. But when you think about uh, Hennepin County Sheriff's Office or any sheriff's office, we have jurisdiction within the entire county. However, we also have uh, st- uh, statutory mandates that municipalities do not have, such as, you know, um, courts, jail, uh, water water patrol. You know, it is actual yes. law that we mm-hmm. do police the On waters. The mm-hmm. Yes. You know, we have a, um, our civil process, you know, warrants, um, things like that. So there's all those mandates to include patrolling, and, and enforcing the laws. And in some of the smaller communities, small towns, the sheriff's deputies, you may see them rather than like city departments or city officers. Yes. So okay. so we'll we'll cover uh, those cities uh, um, that do not have a primary jurisdiction. And then also what's important, what we're seeing a lot now is where people are seeing sheriff's office vehicles or sheriff's deputies in right. areas that they traditionally have not saw them. It is, is our responsibility to provide peace throughout the county. So where we're seeing staffing shortages in certain cities and, and now you're seeing more county um, employees, the deputies in those uh, areas, it is our job to provide that mutual aid to make sure that we are holding the peace and, and keeping um, law in check in those areas, even when there is a primary agency. Keeping the peace. Uh, I think a lot of folks think I, we can't even keep the peace in our family. How do you keep the peace in the <laughs> sheriff's office? How many deputies are there in Hennepin County? In Hennepin County right now, well, first I'll say we're short about 50 licensed deputies, right? So we, like we also, we are not um, indifferent from the other agencies that are having these sh- sh- um, shortages. But I also have detention deputies. Um, we are authorized to have just a little over 300 licensed deputies. It's a lot of people. Yes. In the last couple of years, you've been talking a lot more openly about your background growing up uh, in Minneapolis. Uh, you had a difficult childhood. Uh, what do you want people to know about your home life? Or what do you talk about with, with regards to your home life that you think it's valuable for people to know, to understand you? Well, you know, um, I've been asked, like, why, why, why are you talking about these things? Why are you bringing it up? And it's, it's for me, it's, it's, it was difficult. But, you know, when we had the unrest after the murder of George Floyd and when I was out there trying to talk to people, when people were upset, you right, um, people were hurting, um, I felt a huge disconnect. Like I was not seen as a person of the community. Because you were in your uniform? Because I was in a uniform. This was a barrier, one uh, of something that I could understand because I was that person who saw the uniform and a badge as a barrier, did not trust did not like law enforcement growing up. And that's because there are a lot of things in the environment I grew up in that invited police contact. And it wasn't always good contact. 
Um, so with that being said, it's like what I did know is that people weren't seeing us as people, right? We were barbaric, you know, based off of the actions of of um, former officer Chauvin and then other uh, mm-hmm. police incidents, interactions, right? They needed to see that vulnerable side. Um, I wanted to help. That's why I've been in this field for so long. I want to help. And, you know, to pretend or to act like we don't have feelings or we are also not affected by the things that are going on was the wrong move. It was the time to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's interesting because it it happened on accident. It was an interview that I was doing with uh, Star Tribune about what was going on um, in the area of downtown Minneapolis. And they saw me out there talking to people and they're like, hey, can we come in and do an interview? And when I sat down with that reporter and we're talking about um, the unrest, we're talking about the trial and he just stopped and he goes, you are not answering these questions like any person I know in law enforcement. And that led me to telling him why, telling him mm-hmm. why I see the things the way that I do. And I got a call from him that night. He's like, I was talking to my editors mm-hmm. and we would really like to change the scope of the story and make it about you. And that was very difficult, right? Because mm-hmm. I know, okay, so the whole world is going to know about my 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 upbringing. So what was there that that you don't normally talk about? Just the alcoholism, the drug abuse, um, every kind of abuse, uh, Mm -hmm. really, Um, the violence, you know, it was it it was not a very nurturing environment all the time. And, you know, it's people would ask all the time, like, how is it that I am not a product of that environment? How is it that I'm not an addict? How is it that I'm not an alcoholic? How is it that I'm not out here scheming? Right. Um, the role that I took in my family, which I was one of five siblings in my household, is I was the caretaker. I took care of my family. And it was, you know, I had to grow up a lot faster. Even before I had my daughter at 15, I had to grow up a lot faster than kids should have to. Um, but it, it, sharing those things that happened were very difficult. Like my grandmother, somebody I love dearly. You know, it's kind of like peeling off the Band-Aid for all these things that happened. And and as much as I wanted to put out, put everything out there, I was worried about how would this affect her. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, the responses I got, though, once I did that, it justified that I did the right thing, where people were reaching out just saying, So you, you you relate to people uh, in a way that maybe many law enforcement officers uh are not able to because you've had this lived experience. I recently read something that stuck with me. Someone uh, wrote that sometimes your wounds become your wisdom. Yes. You know, there comes a point where we have to decide our experiences, good and bad. Do what do we want to do with those? You know, um, do we want to teach others? When I say life is learning as a lifelong process, I teach through those experiences and I use them to relate to people because you know what? There's other people that have experienced that. I was that kid who thought this is only me. Mm. And people need to know it's not just them. There's other people who have been through these things and got through it. We need to provide hope to everybody. That's a very powerful testimony, right? Yeah. Even people hearing the story now, mm-hmm. right? That there is a next chapter in life. Yes. Right. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Hennepin County Sheriff 
Dewana Witt. Uh, and we want to hear from you, too. Do you have a question about the role of the Hennepin County Sheriff or Sheriff's deputies? Uh, what would you like to see the sheriff prioritize in her first year? What questions do you have for us? The phone lines are open. Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Uh, sheriff Witt, let's take a phone call now in Minneapolis. Jim is on the line. Good morning, Jim. And what did you want to ask Sheriff Witt? Yeah, good morning, uh, Sheriff Witt. Um, I am a former employee of Hennepin County, and I feel a little more comfortable talking about my experience after 30 years at the county because I've left the county. But I wanted to know if you were willing to address the important issue of secondary trauma among uh, folks in the rank and file, the the, uh, sheriff's deputies, captains, et cetera, who... um, you know, detention deputies that work for the sheriff's office. I spent a number of years trying to pilot a program among law enforcement. I worked with corrections at the county, but never with the sheriff's office. Um, and when I use the word secondary trauma to talk with the inspectors, um, I was told to not use that word because it makes them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and You know, when I talk about secondary trauma, I'm talking about studies that were done in places like New Haven, Connecticut, where they showed that, you know, two thirds of law enforcement officers in New Haven either had um, untreated depression, alcohol addiction or other drug addiction problems um, and a high rate of suicides. And it wasn't until there was a suicide among an officer um, that the problem was addressed. So, Jim, it sounds like your question is, is what will she do to address uh, what we see uh, in deputies and many law enforcement offers as it, re- it pertains to what they see, what they experience, the, the, the trauma, the, the, uh, the, the violence that they witness? And uh, thank you, Jim, for that question. Um, trauma, you've, you've worked in the field of social work. Uh, you've had a, a lived experience of, of, of being a family experiencing this. How do you see that, what, what you see is needed in your industry. So, you know, as I talked about, like even my home life, right? We were not allowed to talk about the things that went in, went on in your home. Well, Which you know is, what? Law enforcement mm-hmm. is was the same way. It's mm-hmm. the same way. We are still figuring out that, you know what? It is okay to say how things affect you. That has not always been the accepted practice. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I could tell you once when I interviewed a child, um, a child victim, and I cried after that interview because it was so sad. And I was told, you are a leader. You sh- you're not supposed to be crying. So th- so first off, we need to admit that we know that that uh, mentality did exist. It still exists for some because it's a form. Some people would say it's a form of weakness. It is not. But now we are in an environment where we realize that, you know what, self-care or the wellness yeah. programs it is important because we do see a lot. We do go through a lot. We are challenged a lot. You're humans, and We're you can't humans. carry all all of that and yes. not, and then come back to work the next day and never process it. Yes. So to answer your question, Jim, that is important because we we need to get to a better place uh, in taking care of ourselves with saying that it, I, it's I'm not okay. And to know that you're not going to be treated any differently because of that. Um, we need to acknowledge that. We need to be able to publicly say when we're not okay. And, um, and, and I get it. There are people in this field that think that as soon as you do that, people are going to uh, attack you in many ways. And you know what? That's probably a, a, a real, um, 
a valid fear, you know, but, you know, people, the community, as well as us, we are human. And we need to be able to show people our human size. We need to be vulnerable. We need to be able to say, I'm not okay. So what access do deputies have now to, if you want to address mental health Mm -hmm. uh, or mental wellness, as as a lot of people describe it? I mean, Mm -hmm. what's available now and what do you see an opportunity to to do more? So for our agency, we do have a wellness program. And a lot of agencies are are, um, either have it or working on getting that that, um, program within their agencies. Um, there's also that fear, though, as if it's within the agency, do we need to be looking at more outsources where people feel comfortable, especially people in this field, to go somewhere where, one, people understand their profession and they understand what they're going through. Um, but we need to just continue to incur- encourage it. And we need to make sure that we have these spaces where people feel safe enough to talk about what's going on with them as a way to combat any further mental health or um, crises in their personal and professional lives. I want to take another phone call from a listener as we talk with Hennepin County Sheriff Dewana Witt uh, in Minneapolis. Osmond is on the line. Good morning, Osmond. And what did you want to ask Sheriff Witt? Good morning. Um, first and foremost, I want to congratulate uh, Sheriff Witt. Um, my question is, what I mean, sorry. My question is, what what procedures or plans does the sheriff have towards uh, police brutality or um, human rights violation in Hennepin County Sheriff? That's one. And my second question is, what steps or what policies will the sheriff implement to tackle down? the opioid crisis that's ravaging the city. Mm-hmm. And the, the opioid crisis, you said? The opioid crisis, correct. Okay. And would it, be, would it be more of a police approach or would it be um, community alliance? And, mm-hmm. All right, Osmond, uh, thank you. So uh, two big issues there, police brutality, uh, high-profile cases across the nation, and of course here in the Minneapolis, uh, across Minnesota as well. Uh, how do you think about police brutality and how to to prevent those types of cases ever happening in the first place? Right. Um, police brutality should not be tolerated anywhere. Um, from my standpoint as the Hennepin County Sheriff, I will not tolerate it. And when we have cases or, or um, accusations of police brutality, we will act swiftly in making sure that we investigate and address those issues. No good person in this field wants that. You know, as we see these um, instances of police brutality across the nation, that takes us so far back. We are way back. And it's, and it's it, it, you know, it, it's, it's exhausting um, of, of fighting when fighting those type of instances. We need to do better. We need to make sure that, yes, we are calling out people that are doing the wrong thing. Frankly, there are people who don't need to be in this field. Um, and we just need to do better, a better job of making sure that we are um, making sure that they do not tarnish this profession anymore. At the same time, we also need to know um, the people that are doing the right things all the time and doing this job all the time and making sure that they know the priority is to protect and serve people of their jurisdiction. But we also know that within law enforcement, with deputies, with uh, mm-hmm. city police officers, there's a reluctance to uh, report fellow officers or deputies who, you know, are 
doing the wrong thing, who mm-hmm. are being violent or disrespectful. So mm-hmm. how do you make it clear that if you see something, you've got to say something? Uh, there's policies in place now, the uh, duty to intervene, duty, uh, duty to report. There are all those, there are those things, um, that are in place. Here goes what's, um, ironic though. Why do we have to have those kind of policies, right? It's about being good people and people doing the right things. I can tell you that I have never in my career experienced something like that where I did not tell or where I did not do something. My point in saying that is that there are people that are in this field that are doing the right things and do intervene and do tell. But, you know, we're not we don't talk about that. We just talk about the ones that go wrong. And we should. And we should. But again, just to remember that there are people in this field, as I'm talking about shortages in our department, trying to make sure that we do um, a good job retaining the people that are still left. They need to be acknowledged, too, because they're doing the right things and they're doing the work. Um, so um, with that being said, it, it is a valid it's a valid concern. Again, come, growing up, I've seen police brutality. I've seen it. I've experienced it, not to me, but to family members where I witness it. So, no, I won't tolerate it. And when it does come across my desk, when I do know about these um, instances, I will swiftly address them and we will get to the bottom of it. You mentioned uh, retaining uh, deputies, uh, law enforcement agencies across Minnesota nationally struggling to attract new officers. Mm-hmm. You said at the beginning of the conversation, you're, you're down 50 licensed uh, officers, a licensed deputy. Mm-hmm. What's the impact of that? 50 people, that sounds like a lot. It, it is a lot. You know, when you think about um, the ask and, and, and the, the amount of crime that's going on. It's it's a lot in a time where we need to be proactive, where we are out here, where we need to build those uh, relationships, build that trust. We are so much in response um, mode, responding to the um, the carjackings, the gun violence, all of these things that are going on. We need to we need people so that we can also work um, on building those relationships. The impact is is it's devastating right now as you see or maybe maybe not i don't know but like golden valley where they're having staffing issues and now we're helping uh police that city you know for a while there we were doing the same thing with brooklyn center again this job of the sheriff is to make sure that we keep the peace within the entire county um so it is very um impactful to how we are um doing business because we need to be everywhere and we don't we frankly don't have the bodies to do that all the time. Are you concerned about retaining yes. the people you have? Yes. And that's why, you know, I will always pivot back to that, too. OK, yes, there are um, people who did not do the right thing and who should not be um, should not have the honor to wear a badge. But there's a lot of good people, too. And that when people ask me, what can we do to help? Acknowledge them. Acknowledge the people that are doing the right thing as well, because it, they're having a difficult time. It is OK if we have people who um, are not good police officers, good deputies leave, fine, I will open the door for you. But I need to also retain the ones that are good. You spent some time um, in your career also working as a school resource officer. And so I want to ask you about that experience. But what we're seeing now with a lot of school districts trying to make decisions uh, about whether or not to have uh, you know, licensed officers on their campuses. Do you think it's a good idea to have police in schools? 
Absolutely. I think that's one of the areas we went wrong when we're talking about building relationships, especially with our younger population. We should have officers, deputies in the schools. That is a time where we can be proactive in building relationships. That is a time where we can answer the questions as to what we do and why we do it. So pulling officers, deputies out of the schools, in my opinion, is a mistake. Um You know, I know some people say, oh, that's the gateway to jail, gateway to prison. No, it's not. You know, I spent nearly six years in a school, and I can tell you there's even a couple of my students that I talk to this very day. It's about building those relationships. You know, people often say law enforcement, right? It's our job to enforce the law. Our license says that we're peace officers. It's also our job to keep the peace. I want to talk to you about gun violence um, here in Minnesota, uh, nationally, um, but in our state, in the state legislature, with the DFL now in control of both the Minnesota House and Senate, it is more likely that some some gun control legislation will pass this session. Um, What changes to the law would you like to see and would you support? What do you think is going to help us, Sheriff Witt? Well, we do. We need to do a better job with uh, with uh, background checks. And, you know, when people are going through um, mental health crises and how do we get um, them away from guns when they are not in their right, right mind or right faculties to to have to have that those type of weapons. We have a gun problem and we need to be able to say that, you know, the amount of illegally possessed guns out there are plaguing the whole country to include Hennepin County. And um, as far as the laws, that's one thing, right? There's three uh, There's three um, bills out there that I know that not everybody's in agreement with. But can we all agree that, yes, we have a gun problem, we need to do something, and you know what? The planning on two, three years out is not going to help. We need an answer right now. Right. You know, as far as uh, the sheriff's office and being the sheriff, you know, making sure that um, my team, such as our Violent Offender Task Force, that are out there every day looking for people who have these illegally possessed guns, looking for people who are committing these violent acts. You know, as I told you, we have shortages, but that has to be a priority. That's one area I do not have the luxury of saying this can this will not be a priority. We have to combat what's going on. People don't feel safe right now. And, you know, I, um, we need to find some kind of common ground um, that's going to make us all safe again. Are you stunned? I know I am stunned by the number of teenagers and children that we hear who bring guns to school, use mm-hmm. guns, shoot guns, are hurting people, killing people with guns. And, and what are you seeing or hearing from your deputies or what have you experienced yourself firsthand with, with, with young people and their access to guns and willingness to use them? And willingness to use them. You know, um, there's not a lot of um, f- faith out there right now. It's like, you know, we're doing our part of the job, right? Just... Um, trying to get these guns off the street. And again, I want to put emphasis on illegally possessed weapons that people are using and where are they getting them from? Where are they stealing them from? You know, are we are we doing the right thing as far as like storing our weapons for those who do have have um, the rights to hold them? But, you know, everybody does not need a gun. There are more guns than there's people. And I know people keep hearing that, but that's the fact of the matter. um, That's the fact of the matter right now when we're talking about these ghost guns as well. What's you a ghost know, gun? A ghost, a ghost gun is when one they're they're manufactured. There's there's no tracing them. You know, there's there's no serial numbers. They they they're made and they're sent in in different ways in which it's hard to 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 
to, to, track, to, to them. track them. And so, you know, um, we're seeing that every day. You know, I, we, we're trying to do a better job with posting like on our on our website, on the sheriff's office website, showing all of these guns and drugs. You know, I know the other caller talked about the opioid crisis, right? Oh, yeah. He asked you know, to know. Those two go, co- go hand in hand a lot of times. Drugs and gun. It's not a good combination. Are deputies finding a lot of uh, like pills, o- opioids in the possession of children and kids, teenagers? Yes. Access. Yes, they are. You know, um, and, and it's I can tell you that there's not a week go by. There's barely a day that goes by where we don't have um, a case where that's what we're finding. It There is an epidemic here going, going on right now. Um, and again, guns and drugs often go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about the our, our young people out here that are running these streets, stealing cars, having guns, having drugs, we have to <laughs> we have to do something right now. I know that there's talks and plans about um, reform, which I am a big advocate for. Um, but we also need to make sure that we are um, being responsive right now. We need to uh, get people who are having having uh, these guns, committing these violent acts off the street. I don't care that they're a kid or an adult. We people have the right to feel safe. And if there are people out here who cannot control those urges to commit these acts of violence, these acts of terrorism, if you will, then we need to get them out of the community and give them whatever it is they need to, to to get them on track. No one has the right to terrorize communities, individuals, elderly, or anyone else. No one has that right. Let's take another phone call uh, from a listener as we talk with Hennepin County Sheriff Dewana Witt uh, in Minneapolis. Rachel is on the phone. Good morning, Rachel. Thank you for waiting. And, and what do you want to share or ask? Hi, good morning, um, and congratulations, um, Sheriff Witt, for um, taking over that role. Um, I'm a domestic abuse victims advocate. I work for a community agency that works in um, Hennepin County, and um, we rely on the Sheriff's Department in so many ways, um, in court, in um, serving orders, and patrols, and um, I'm on a, a committee that's countywide um, court players, and um, we've talked for many years about um, the need for a place for gun storage for people that um, are prohibited from possessing guns, like if they have a restraining order issued against them. And I'm wondering if that is something that has been discussed, if you know, um, I understand there's a new building that's been funded to you know, how is different parts of the sheriff's department, but um, there isn't, there isn't, there isn't any place for, um, for law enforcement to take and store guns. Gun storage. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, I'll, I'll let the sheriff respond to your question. <clears throat> Sorry. Yes, uh, you're right, Rachel. Um, we do need a safe place to, to, to secure these these weapons. You know, there's been times where people have even reached out to me, um, whether it was here at Hennepin or Dakota County, where, where people are asking, what can we do with these? How can we safely remove these guns? So that's one we need to acknowledge that. Uh, storage storage is, is an issue with limited space. Um, I would like to know what that new building is that you're referring to <laughs> that we have, because uh, I'm not aware of... That that's true. Of, of, of yeah, of... Mm-hmm. 
a place where we can we have excess room to store those. However, I do um, acknowledge and and believe that, yeah, we do need to have we we do need to play a part into that um, when we're talking about safely storing uh, these weapons Way, But then also there's the liability piece of it when we do receive them and getting them back to people when they're able to have them back in the conditions that um, that we took them in. So um, long stories. Yes, we we need to be a partner in that. There is a storage problem, but um, the continued partnerships and collaborations. If you have ideas, please feel free to reach out to me, Rachel. I would love to hear what they are. You worked um, in county corrections for more than 12 years, first in Hennepin County and then in Ramsey County. Tell me about that experience. What did you see uh, when you were inside um, the the jails? Uh, What, in your opinion, is working and not working in county jails in general, but particularly now in Hennepin County? So uh, just to clarify, so I've worked in the Hennepin County Jail. I've worked in the Dakota County Jail. In Ramsey County, I worked at their correctional facility, which is their workhouse. Mm, Okay. you know, I, I see it a lot. That's kind of like a big question. So I, I, I know. But the, the general public doesn't know about what happens when yeah. someone is in jail. And what do you think is an opportunity there when someone is in custody? You know, when um, what I think opportunities are is is right. You have people in a space where they are not dealing with their everyday normal pressures, whatever they are in their environments. I see those as opportunities to, to um, use that time where they're of clear mind. Because maybe to, if, to give them if there's resources. drug use, you're not going to be able to use in jail. You're not going to be able to use in jail. You know, I am very grateful that we have the uh, medical assisted treatment program. It's a part of Hennepin County. So we do address that medical side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have mental health services in our jail. So we're able to address that. But the goal is always to get people resources so that they can have a better chance of doing better when they are released from our facility. It's to be um, noted, too, like the Hennepin County Jail is a pretrial facility, right? Dakota County, where they have sentence and they have pretrial. So every jail is different, Mm -hmm. but Hennepin County is specifically a pretrial facility. So, you know, sometimes you just don't know. You could have somebody there for two hours. You can have someone there for for months. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Let's take an, another phone call. In uh, North Minneapolis, we have Amanda on the line. And Amanda, what did you want to ask uh, Sheriff Witt? Hi, yes. Uh, thank you for taking my question. Um, I am a member of LEAN, which is Lived Experience Advocacy Network, and we are tackling homelessness and different resources for people who have experienced homelessness. And I was just wondering, because homelessness has been um, increasing so much over the years, what is the police force doing to tackle that right now? And um, what are we doing to support these people? Because it does seem that mm-hmm. um, homelessness is kind of criminalized instead of being supported or treated as an epidemic. Thank you, Amanda in Minneapolis, asking about uh, homelessness. We've seen so uh, many encampments uh, pop up and uh, become torn down and then pop up again. Uh, what role can the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office play in in and, and treating people with respect, but also uh, making sure that they have safety. Right. Well, you know, um, it's interesting because here we are, uh, again, talking about the profession of, of law enforcement, right? And we are being asked to do things that are not necessarily right. law enforcement. Um, as far as criminalizing, you know, I, I I wouldn't even say that that, that is the role of, of the sheriff's office nor the police department. But when there becomes safe and uh, unsafe environments and we're called to um, help clear those, you know what? We're not doing that alone. There's a lot of collaboration going on where we're working with more nonprofits and people to provide safe, warm 
places for people to go. There has been so much work on a city level and a county level to do that when um, it comes to the encampments. So um, as far as um, our role in law enforcement, we don't want to do. That's not what we're there right. to do. Yet the interactions are still happening, though. You're yeah. still called upon yeah. to to address it. And I think it's important to acknowledge, though, that's why those mm-hmm. collaborations are in place, which has not always been the case, right? We're working more with social services. We're working more with our community advocacy groups to try to do things the right way. Another phone call, this one uh, coming from Rochester, where Alexander is on the phone. Good morning, uh, Alexander. What question do you have for the Hennepin County Sheriff? Thanks. Uh, you got a great background. My son is uh, doing what you used to do. He's working in the prisons as a social worker, psychologist. Um, very difficult uh, career that he chose, but he's there. Um, what is the big picture for you working with um, Minneapolis police, St. Paul police, the suburban police, what's the big picture to reduce crime and in that area? Uh, I'm moving back to the cities where my children and grandchildren are currently living. They're thinking about leaving the cities because of the crime. And mm-hmm. it's, I think it's something that, uh, well, it's overdue, quite honestly, to get fixed. And so, Alexander, is there a particular big... type of crime that you're concerned about? Or when you talk about, um, you know, safety and, well, and crime, is there something well, it, particular you worry about? Yeah, specifically, it's the drugs and the guns, uh, mm-hmm. the carjackings. I mean, it, it seems like drugs and guns and crime, uh, that's the problem. It's mm-hmm. been there since the 90s, and it's simply gotten worse, and it doesn't seem like anybody's able to mm-hmm. slow it down. Thank you. That's uh, Alexander in Rochester um, planning to move to the Twin Cities metro area, concerned about carjackings, crime, engine guns. Uh, there, There is the perception, there's reality, but, you know, this is this is real. So what do you see as as uh, what are people saying that, that just that you interact with about like how they feel in terms of their own personal safety when they are on the streets of Minneapolis or anywhere in Hennepin County? Well, people are feeling like, uh, well, let me preface this first. We are being proactive. We're working with Minneapolis, working with St. Paul. We're working with our state and federal partners uh, in order to combat all of this crimes out here. What people are saying, though, because they're seeing that, I think we're doing we're all doing a uh, better job with being transparent and talking about like some of these operations or 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 some of these um, things that we're involved with uh, involving crime. But people are also asking for accountability. There's this perception out there that there's this revolving door, right, where people, yep, we're catching them and then they're just getting released. Um, That is what I'm hearing from people. They want accountability. Um, But I'm going to go back again to we all need more people because, you know what, we are doing the best that we can to be everywhere and anywhere we can to, to help people feel safe, to help people be safe. Um, so there's this balance. So like we are, we are working our butts off recruiting, getting the right people in so that we can be better at what we're already doing. We are doing the work and we need to also make sure that we are collaborating with our communities and, and making sure we're listening. What is it that the community work? You know, you have people that say, yep, we want people arrested. Yep. We want good police. Well, you know what? We have a, a, we're in a good place where we can do both of those things, but we need 
more people so that we can be even better at combating this violence. I just made this connection here. Uh, We have a new Hennepin County Sheriff. We have a new police chief in Minneapolis. We have a new police chief in St. Paul. Um, What is when you say working with Minneapolis police, working with St. Paul police, what does that look like? Well, what it looks like is we know that Minneapolis has probably the um, largest deficit of of sworn officers, right? Um, They're down several hundred, hundreds. I believe. Mm. You know, so we are um, again in Minneapolis a lot. We're working with them. We cannot, we will not let violence take over our cities. We will. That is not going to become the new norm. We all realize that, yep, we're all having our hardships with with fi- filling our ranks. So we have to do this together. Um, so, you know, it, it means people working more often um, across agencies than we have in the past with the common goal of getting this violence under control and giving people their cities back. You stepped up to run for elected off, uh, office to become the sheriff. What message would you have for people who have some experience in law enforcement or are interested in it, but are like, no, I don't think this is the time to do it? What what, what do you say as you try to recruit people to join you Um in this in this battle if not now when if not you then who you know our early in our conversation i talked about you know what i've never been one to just sit back and complain and do nothing we all need to be doing something right now and it goes beyond being keyboard warriors if you will and doing that no we are accepting people to help us get this job done it's stop let's stop fighting you know, let's stop blaming every person or every agency. Let's do something about it. You know, we are doing the work. The Hennepin County Sheriff's Office is doing the work, and we are inviting people to help us do this. So, yeah, that was a recruiting plug for anybody listening. Come talk to me. <laughs> How important is it to have uh, more women in law enforcement and more people of color in law enforcement? Well, I think every agency should um, um, look like the communities that they serve. You know, um, again, being that person who never saw myself in this field, I don't recall ever seeing a black female officer as a kid. I don't recall seeing that. Uh, You know, there's been times where I would be out in the public with um, other females that look like me. And it's ironic because people will still say, there's two of y'all. Really? (laughs) (laughs) We're saying that, but it's not it's not commonly seen. But, you know, um, what's that saying? You can't be what you can't see. So we need to show the community, all of our communities that you know what? Yes, you can. Yes, you can do this. Yes, we need you. Yes, we want you. So come join us. What do your family members and, and close friends think about um, you choosing to work in law enforcement? I mean, in the early mm-hmm. years, was your family supportive? They're like, what are you doing, Duana? No, there was um, some of my family members it still would be like, they can't mess with me <laughs> because right. I'm the popo. <laughs> Literally, right. that's still that's still a thing. There were some that supported um, that have supported me the whole time. And there were some who didn't support me in the beginning and now do because they see that I did not let this profession change me. And that was their fear mm-hmm. that, that this would change me. And, um, you know, again, there was just not a lot of trust in this field. You know, it's ironic too, because sometimes I'll get phone calls, you know, it's like call, call 911, call, but they don't, it's because they don't trust, trust that they trust me. Um, and so, you know, when we're talking about uh, engaging with our communities, that's why it's so important for us to be proactive, right? Not always reactive so that they can uh, earn the trust of the communities they serve so that people will feel comfortable calling them. You know, in the late summer, 
of 2022, you know, my grandmother's house for the third time had got shot. And then, you know, I thought that they called the police and, and here we are two days later, nobody called the police. Mm -hmm. So I go there and I meet uh, Minneapolis there. And as we're doing a walkthrough, we realize that those bullets went through seven townhomes. And no one called the police. And no one called the police. Went through windows. No one called the police. That is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. We need people to feel comfortable calling us when they need help. And we need to be responding. All right. Our time is up for the hour. And um, I just want to thank you for taking the time to allowing us to get you to know you better. Hennepin County Sheriff Dewana Witt, I'm wishing you the best and uh, looking for an opportunity to talk to you again. Thank you. This conversation today was produced by Maya Beckstrom. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.